Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Sarah Jacobs. And I'm Alan Murabayashi. Alan, more news in the AI colorization world this week. Ah. Just doesn't. I know, it just doesn't seem to stop. Um, author, artist, and game designer Gwen C. Katz wrote on Twitter about her experience taking four originally color film photos that were taken by Sergi Prudikin-Gorsky in the early 1900s. She desaturated them, making them black and white, and then ran them through an image colorization API Hmm. and shared the results. And in her initial tweet, she kind of prompts this question of colorization APIs are becoming widespread. AI colorized historical photos are circulated without caveat. But is AI colorization providing an accurate image of the past? And then she shares the results and she shares the original color film photos and they are wildly different very inaccurate the ai created color photos are much less vibrant um it's just flat out incorrect coloring they're more muted and they're not they don't have that sparkle and it it does prompt this question of how accurate are these tools are we being careful creating them and using them what did you think alan uh, you know, I kept going back to the the MyHeritage technology that we looked at a couple of weeks ago where they were animating old photos and thinking, boy, this does not look and behave like my grandmother did when she was alive. And mm-hmm. when I looked at these images that Gwen Katz had tested, it didn't really surprise me that it was so far off. I mean, we should say that the the AI, I mean, we don't know what the data set that it trained on, but it's obviously, it has no clues really of how it should colorize something other than maybe the skin tones. And maybe mm-hmm. it can identify things like a tree, but it certainly doesn't know, uh, it's not smart enough yet to say, oh, that is clothing from the 1920s in the Soviet Union. Uh, so the colors should be this. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the one quote that... Uh, that stuck with me is uh, we can't let AIs that propagate our own biases define our image of the past. Colorization should be left to human experts who can use context to pick accurate colors. And I think the same is true with any sort of automation AI. It speeds up processes, but unless someone's really examining the output of it, it can go really, really awry. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that the test was done because I think people can now see, oh my God, it, it really is off from reality. Totally. One, one thing about the original artwork, if you had showed me each set of images, the, the colorized AI versions and then the originals, I would have guessed that the originals were the AI created because it almost looks fake. Um, the colors are just so vibrant and beautiful. Yeah. And, and very modern, I would say. But, but see, that's my bias, right? Thinking like, oh, they wouldn't have colors like this back then. Of course, it's this other muted one. Well, you know, and I, I go back to uh, Greek classical sculpture because we, we see them as these white marble, uh, mm. you know, things. And we, we tend to think, oh, the Greeks, the aesthetics were so clean when in fact they were very garishly painted when they were created. Mm. Um, and that's something that I think the majority of people probably don't know. So I guess to your point, you know, uh, uh, societies that preceded our contemporary society loved color. Like, why shouldn't they? And right. why should we expect that, you know, because most of our 
the, the historical photographic record is black and white that for some reason they didn't use color in real life. It's, right. a, it's a silly position to start from. It's, it's, you know, it's that bias. Totally. And, you know, last week we talked about the damaging photo manipulation that was done by Matt Lawfrey on the historic photos of the Cambodian Terrible. genocide victims. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I guess while like these colorizations, um, can be like fun Photoshop practice. Like, I just feel like we need to be in a dialogue with historians when doing these type of projects, like as an industry. I don't know. That's well, especially with genocide photos. Well, yes. <laughs> <I> mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. As you probably know, the, the trial of Derek Chauvin, the officer who killed George Floyd, is underway in Minnesota and somewhat inexplicably... In the city of Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, last week, an officer killed a black man, Dante Wright, after mistaking her gun for a taser. And so, as expected, demonstrators poured out into the streets. And during these protests, cops started assaulting multiple credentialed photojournalists. And there's more. Mm. The assault on the journalists happened after a judge, U.S. District Court Judge Wilhelmina Wright, granted a restraining order that prohibited law enforcement from dispersing media covering the protests and pre prevented them from using force and chemical munitions. So everything that the judge had prevented, the cops went out and did against photojournalists. Freelance mm -hmm. photographer Tim Evans, uh, the AFP Eleanor Sens were both pepper sprayed. Freelancer Joshua Rashad McFadden, who was working for the New York Times, was forcibly removed from his car and had his legs beaten. Uh, and there's a Times piece uh, which quotes, uh, Mr. McFadden, who is black, said the police did not believe his press credentials were real until another photographer vouched for him. And he goes on mm -hmm. to say, like, that is sort of almost the normal MO when he's mm -hmm. covering protests nowadays. It's really, really disappointing. The governor, Tim Waltz of Minnesota, said uh, the alleged assaults on journalists was, quote, chilling. And he also said, I think we need to recognize the assault on media across the world and even in our country over the last few years is chilling. We cannot function as a democracy if they're not there. It's horrifying to see some of the, this coverage. It really is. Um, it's, it's sickening and it's, it's incredibly sad. I, I think it's really interesting what happened to uh, McFadden um, of the New York Times. We heard about similar situations um, of other journalists vouching for each other um, at the Capitol siege earlier this year. And it really seems like they all have to be watching out for each other um, in order for this to at least um, not stop. Obviously, it's not stopping it, but um, to help protect their fellow journalist. It's really sad. I did see some responses online where people were saying, well, everybody calls himself a journalist nowadays. And so you can't tell a journalist from a protester or, you know, Antifa. And, mm. you know, these guys had were credentialed. They had right. press passes. They were displaying their press passes. Uh, I think the logical thing to do is to go up and check to see if the press pass is legitimate before you start using mace on them. I mean, and the police were IDing them and taking pictures of them, but in a, in a threatening way. Yeah. yeah, very different. Not a good look. Uh, you know, there's a lot of caution um, and people are scared for the Chauvin verdict to come out. The, the, uh, as we record this on Monday, April 19th, uh, the defense and prosecution have rested their cases. And so it's in, it's all up to the jury at this point. 
um, and we will see what happens. Hopefully there will be uh, peaceable protests and, and, and nobody else gets hurt. In lighter news, uh, there is a new photo reality show <laughs> coming out called Exposure that'll be on Hulu. Um, it premieres April 26th. It is sponsored by Samsung. Part of the deal is that you can only shoot with the Samsung phone. I, it came across my radar because one of my favorite photographers will actually be one of the eight contestants. Uh, their name is Parker Day, um, and her work is just absolutely fabulous. She usually works in film and she makes these fantastic portraits of just with using the most incredible color of just these characters that are just decked out in the most fabulous outfits. So I am so excited to see Parker compete on a television show. Now you said part of the deal is that they all have to use Samsung phones. Part of the deal is also that I only have Hulu because I subscribe to Spotify and it's free with my subscription. Oh yes, so, I have that too. <laughs> I'm Amazing. Not sure how many people watch Hulu on a regular basis? Oh yes, no people. It's so big. It's big. Hulu. Oh yes. Oh yes, Alan. <laughs> yes, that's how I'm watching Younger. It's how I'm watching so many shows. All right, so all right. I, I did watch <laughs> Pen Fifteen. You know, back oh, yeah. in the day, and that was on Hulu, yeah. and I really enjoyed that. So maybe totally. I'll have to give this a go. I think you totally should. Um, they're competing for $250,000, which is no, I know. And the judges are rotating. Um, so each week there'll be a new panel, but there are some really big names that we've talked about here on the show, including Diana Marcosian is going to be judging. I would be so scared if I had to show my work <laughs> taken from a Samsung phone <laughs> to her. So that should be interesting. And also Ravi B, who photographed Beyonce's tour. She is fabulous. She's going to be one of the judges. So that's going to be super cool. That feels like her aesthetic and her vibe fits with this yes, show. Totally. I'm confused about the Diana judge. But I guess they wanted, you know, more hardcore documentary. Yeah. And filmmaker, I, I don't know. You know, I watched the trailer and I get, you know, I'm not a big reality show kind of guy. I've never watched an episode of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I think I saw a few episodes of uh, Survivor back in the day. Okay. And, you know, some of these music shows, which I, I think is probably, you know, because it's a creative art, it's most similar to this exposure show on Hulu. You know, there's a lot of these creative competitions and very mm -hmm. few of the winners ever ascend to the ranks of like great creatives. Well, Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, I know. But after Kelly Clarkson, there's so <laughs> few and there's been like 20,000 episodes of American Idol. True, true. Not to say that somebody won't emerge, but I wasn't totally impressed with the contestants. Mm, okay, so you checked them out, huh? I did. I did. Okay. Okay. Do you have any feelings about who might win? Well, so my observation about the cast is that a lot of them don't seem to have a style yet. You know yeah. the way that I look like Dave Black is a Nikon ambassador. Whenever I see a Dave Black photo, I know it's a Dave Black photo. Mm -hmm. He just has a visually distinct style and something that he's honed over the decades that he's been working um, and it's his own. When I look at the Instagram pages of these contestants, I feel like they're still trying to figure out who they are as artists. And the post-processing is all over the place. And mm. they might be photographing uh, the same type of subject matter. So there's cohesion that way thematically, but not visually. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's uh, one photographer named Monroe who seems like the most developed, pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure about I'm not sure about some of the others. Who who did you think uh, might win? Yeah, so I, I looked through all of them. You're totally right. They're they're kind of all over the place in terms of their style, which I think was smart in terms of casting the show and getting some like newbies in there, etc. But like. I, st- I think Parker Day is the uh, the strongest mm-hmm. in terms of her visu- her artistic voice. Um, uh, so, but how that might translate into c- contests and like you know these like very quick high pressure situations, <laughs> we'll just have to see. But my money's on Parker. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. You know, and also you know shooting with a Samsung phone. In these really yeah. uh, artificial scenarios is obviously not what being a real photographer is like. Right. Uh, which we'll talk about a little further in the show, a little later in the show. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, one of my favorite photographers who would absolutely win this in a heartbeat, Dawood Bay, has a new book out. Uh, and there's also a nice feature in The New Yorker entitled The Timeless Pleasures of Dawood Bay's Street Portraits. So his new book uh, is Street Portraits all taken with a large format film camera. Uh, Bay was, is Queens born and raised. Uh, he went to public school, uh, you know, growing up in high school. Um, and uh, he did get an MFA from Yale. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'll not a shout yep, out. Yep. I hear you. <laughs> uh, and I'm a huge fan of one of his earlier books called Class Pictures. Just, I, I think he's got a real... He's got a real knack for for portrait photographer, and there's a real intimacy that he brings out in in his subjects. Yeah, I, I totally agree. These images are absolutely stunning. He clearly knows how to chase the light and photograph people when the light is just kissing their skin. The black and white shots are just beautiful. I'm excited to see the book. There's a quote in the New Yorker piece that says... Uh, there's a warmth that's intrinsic to Bay's act of portrait making. It makes me think about the times I've walked down the street feeling inconsequential or even invisible until I pass another black person who holds my gaze long enough for us to exchange a nod. We should point out that he also has a career retrospective at the Whitney called Dawood Bay, an American project that started two days ago on April 17th and runs through October 3rd. So get your vaccine and go in there and go see the, uh, the show. Oh, I definitely will. Something that was flooding my Instagram feed this week is a newly launched website called Fuck Gatekeeping. <laughs> it was launched by three photographers, Emiliano Granado, who is an editorial and commercial photographer based in New York, Jared Soares, who is based, who's a portrait f- editorial photographer based in D.C., and Carmen Chan, um, who's a commercial and editorial photographer based in L.A. They all have impressive careers, extensive client lists, um, and they put together a website with resources and their advice um, to help basically pull back the curtain on editorial and commercial photography as a business and how they handle clients, make personal work, you know, all those type of questions. How do they start assisting? What's the proper etiquette when talking to editors and art buyers? Um, It's a really awesome site. It's built well. Um, You know, my first thought was, you know, this certainly, I've been deep in watching a bunch of YouTubes lately, like photographer YouTubes on shooting tips, on business tips and all that. And, you know, this certainly isn't the first of its kind. Um, also 
shout out to Photo Shelter hey, hey. <laughs> for, <laughs> for always putting out um, information for free for photographers. Um, but I really I respect the the work of all all three of these uh, people, and I I think this is probably reaching kind of a new a newer audience that might not otherwise know um, or respect like some of the other like YouTube type um, of photographers. Yeah. So the website and the Instagram is fuck gatekeeping. We have to bleep out the fuck because our <laughs> podcast is, you know, rated PG. Um, but it is the F word gatekeeping.com and at F word gatekeeping on Instagram. I, I love it. You know, I think it's these are millennials who in their own sort of snarky voice are trying to communicate um, core business concepts that every generation has tried to impart. Mm-hmm. to the next generation. And if their, if their uh, method of communication is resonant with other millennials and Gen Zs, I'm all for it. Um, totally. Because you can only listen to us, you know, Gen Xers and boomers for so long uh, <laughs> before you feel like we're irrelevant. So I, I, I'm super excited about this site. You know, Emiliano and Jared have been doing business marketing tips for years uh, I assume Carmen's been doing it as well because they all banded together. But, you know, I certainly have followed Emiliano's career for years and years and years, and he's always been very, very generous with dispensing information. Mm-hmm. The the format that they put together, you know, there's like a Q&A section, um, but it's not all written text. There's a very funny 20-second clip of Emiliano um, using a Cheetos virtual background explaining <laughs> – if you want to get work to shoot something in a certain way or a certain style, you have to do that work. You have to take those photos to get hired to take those photos. Mm-hmm. And he keeps sort of restating that. And it's just very funny. And I yeah. can see them, you know, having success, you know, taking complex ideas and making them very, very simple and doing, you know, TikTok style videos if they really wanted to go in that direction. That could be fun. The other thing that I would mention is, you know, they have, for example, marketing examples that they've individually used in the past. And what I would say is, it's not enough as a young photographer to be like, oh, Carmen did that, I'm gonna do what Carmen did, or Jared did that, I'm gonna do what Jared did. The reason why they were successful in doing that is because they knew who their intended audience was. They already Mm -hmm. had a style, they knew who they were as photographers. And so it allowed them to sort of hone in their marketing. I think it would be foolish to be, you know, a kid right out of photo school or a kid who's trying to become a professional photographer and say, oh, okay, I'm just going to make a zine and that's going to be, and I'm going to send it to a thousand people and that's going to be my marketing plan. Like that's, a, that's an incredible waste of resources until you mm. kind of know what you're doing. So know who your, who your audience is. Totally. Yeah, it's just, it's chocked full of great advice. Sarah, something in the news that I think would resonate with you, mm-hmm. Polaroid has re-released Color 600 Film Round Frame Edition. Oh this God. is still the square Polaroid, but the actual picture space is a circle. And for some reason, people of your generation think that's the hot shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. I still have my 600 in, in my closet. Now... To their credit, when you look at Instagram or you look at Twitter, everybody's using a circle for your profile. So circles are cool. And I should point out that this type of film was first released 
in 2014. The current batch is already sold out, suckers. Oh, my God. <laughs> but new supply in May. New supply in May. I like, I like how you got to the conclusion that circles are cool because of uh, Facebook and Instagram <laughs> profile photo. <laughs> no, it turns out circles were always cool, and that's why you know Instagram and, and Twitter copy them but you know oh got it okay. i don't know yeah, that the circle it's worth... came first is that what yeah, you're saying yeah circles were invented a long time ago believe it or not i, <laughs> I don't know whether i would uh spend 20 bucks for circular polaroids but i don't know i, I could could be vinced yeah i think you would <laughs> I, I definitely would i because yeah i still have my my polaroid that fits this type of film in it but i have not used it in many many years because i mean it's just like it, it either sells out in two seconds or it's a million bucks on eBay or whatever. Well, but, this is the catalyst. Set that, yeah. set that alarm for May 1st. <laughs> so I, I have scrolled through more TikToks than I would like to admit. Um, but I would like to share with you uh, the one TikTok that's worth following if you downloaded TikTok or if you have it on your phone. And that is the Museum of Lost Memories. Now, this is a person who runs the account, also has an Instagram that has a decent amount of followers and has been doing it there for a while. But the way that what they do translated on TikTok, it's just so perfect. So this person goes through the journey of taking you to the thrift store, finding whatever they're going to buy, whether that is a photo album of old photos that somebody left at the thrift store, you know, like Goodwill, Salvation Army, et cetera, or a VHS that was in a camcorder that like just got left there, whatever, and then digitizes all of this and then puts it to this most like amazing music. It's like <laughs> flourishing trumpets that makes you feel so much when you watch it and you're looking at these strangers. And the point essentially is, do, do, does anybody know anybody in these photos? Can we help find the owner of these photos? And you kind of just get lost in the account and you want to just watch and look at all these strangers. It's very voyeuristic, but um, if you're into photography at all, you will fully enjoy it. Did you watch it, Alan? I did. And let me tell you uh, what I didn't like first, and then I'll tell you what I liked. What okay. I didn't like in the TikTok is the person who owns the account doesn't use their own voice. They use oh, that synthesized yeah. voice that is, I guess in some places, kind of the cool thing to do. Yes. Um, and I, I don't love, I don't love that synthesized voice. The oh, music is very, very interesting. I, I think it does give you the feels, uh, yeah. in a way that, you know, a, a non soundtracked TikTok account wouldn't be, you know, nearly as successful. So kudos to music for being all the things that it is. <laughs> the things I love about it, there's, there's something remarkable about found photos, there's something remarkable about this vernacular style of photography. And mm -hmm. there's something wonderful about photos prior to Instagram or prior to social media. Yeah. Where they were really like, they weren't meant to go viral. They were really meant to just share amongst friends. And I remember as a kid, when you went to the, the drugstore to develop your film, you could make one set of prints or you could make two set of prints because you wanted to share a few hmm. photos with friends, you know, and that was like a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. And I can't imagine someone one day going to a thrift store, finding my phone, opening up my Instagram and being like, 
wow, look at all these Instagram <laughs> photos. Oh, let's find out who took these photos. Like no one's ever going to do that. That's how, right. that's how like curated and in some ways, you know, inauthentic the stuff that we're posting nowadays. Uh, yeah. So I just love that about, about these photos, just, you know, family photos. And you're like, what, I- what is the backstory behind these photos? It's wonderful yeah, in it- that sense. Totally. I always want to know who is the person behind the camera, you know, and who and what is their relation to the people pictured. Sometimes it's very obvious that it's family. Sometimes it, you can tell that it's coworkers or just neighborhood friends. Um, but it, it's a it's a fabulous account. Give it give it a follow. Uh, that link we will have on our website, along with all of the other links that we mentioned today. You can find that at blog.photoshelter.com. Hey, why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a rating. You can always tweet at us at Photoshelter and we'd love to hear from you. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.